Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Coach Pete Quinn. He's an assistant men's basketball coach at Newbury College. Coach, how's it going? Good to see you again, Cap. Good to see you. So for the listeners, this is take two. I had a, a giant error and uh, it never recorded. So Coach is gracious enough to take time out of his day again to re-record this. Yeah, it's not a big deal, man. Coach, you want to give yourself a, a brief introduction to the listeners? Yeah, um, my name is Pete Quinn. I'm currently the uh, one of the assistant coaches at Newberry College in South Carolina. I've uh, been coaching 18 years. Uh, the first five years, I was the assistant coach, the only assistant coach at, South, at Long Island University, Southampton College in New York. Uh, I think it was in 2003. I became the head coach uh, for two years. Uh, but right before the start of my second season uh, in the summer of June, uh, I don't know when it was, 2004, 2005, the, the uh, LIU announced that they were shutting down the college. So uh, basically my final season as a head coach in, in New York was, was a death march. Uh, but then after I helped my guys find other schools, uh, very late in the process, I started reaching out, ended up getting an assistant coaching job with, with uh, Dave Davis at Pfeiffer University, coming off of you know, a really successful per- period for Pfeiffer. Um, was there with Coach Davis for two years, um, moved on to Belmont Abbey, actually a rival in the conference, uh, moved on to Belmont Abbey for two years, uh, came back to Pfeiffer with uh, Coach Davis for a year, and then he left Pfeiffer to go to Newberry and asked me to come with him. Um, I joined him and went, was there for two years, uh, decided to take a high school position at St. Mary's Reich in high school uh, up in, uh, up in um, Maryland to compete in the WCAC, which is one of the best high school conferences in the country. Was there for uh, three years, um, came back to Newberry. I had a brief stint at a D2 at, uh, in Missouri, Lincoln University, Missouri. Had a brief stint as the director of basketball operations in 2011 uh, at North Carolina Central. Eventually came back to Newberry in 2014 or 15, was there for two years. And then right before the start of my third year there with Coach Davis, um, my father, my best friend and my uncle in the span of uh, really a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, uh, they all passed away. So I stepped away from basketball for a year, came back to Newberry in 2018 with Coach Davis. And then at the conclusion of that season, he took the associate head coaching position at Winthrop. Uh, I stayed on with the new coach, Jason Taylor, and I've been here for the past two years. Okay. Definitely got some miles on your car. Yeah, man. It's a long list. You know, you talk about going to Pfeiffer. You grew up in New York. Uh, talk about how you ended up there. Yeah, you know, I, I, I grew up uh, – you know, I watched a ton of basketball. I was one of those guys. Again, I, I don't think about it a lot, but, I, you know, I guess I'm old. I'm 48. I'm going to be 49 in August. But I don't think about it much. You know, I, I spent my childhood, you know, playing ball and watching ball on TV. I used, I used to tape every game that was on ESPN or Fox uh, and put them on, you know, VHS tapes. And there was a way that you can get, like, three games onto one tape. So I used to have tapes and tapes and tapes, and I used to put them all in milk crates, and I literally had a room full of milk crates. Uh, and I didn't really watch the games uh, – for the basketball side, I watched it more so for, for the coaches because I was very much into uh, how the coaches handled their teams and what they ran and stuff like that. A huge fan of Dean Smith growing up in New York, probably because you know, North Carolina games were on a lot in New York. Uh, 
didn't play high school ball because I didn't get along with the high school coach. My high school coach ran the flex. And this is back in New York before they had a shot clock. Um, he ran the flex. He would literally run a, I'm not exaggerating. He would run the flex for an entire half. Uh, so when I, when I tried out, it just didn't fit with the way I played uh, coming from the city. Um, but yeah, you know, I didn't play in high school. And then I, I spent a couple of years outside of, uh, after I graduated high school, I didn't, I didn't go directly into college. I, I went back and lived with a, Went, went back to the city and worked with my buddy in his liquor store. Uh, did that for a couple of years and um, still was very much into the game. When we weren't working in the liquor store, we'd shut it down and go play basketball in the park. And then, you know, I was doing, I was being a little bit of a knucklehead running around. You know, I told you the first time through, you know, I, I joke around. I say, I, I, back then I was Eminem without a record deal. You know, I, 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 I was just a clown. I was doing silly stuff in the city and I didn't have my stuff straight. And what got me straight was my friend told me at one point, uh, you know, Pete, you got to get out of here. You got to go, go to college and, and get involved with, you know, play, play and, and go be a coach. Cause I see that in your future. And uh, it took a while, but I finally did it. Went down to Palm beach community college in, in Florida. Uh, knew I'd go in there and walk on that team at the time was top 20 in division one Juco. Um, I walked on first three games. I didn't play. And then after that, uh, I got into the next couple of games. And then before you know it, I was starting, made a bad decision. Uh, I figured since, uh, I could play in Florida. I figured I can go to New York and play because uh, I really didn't like living in Florida and I missed New York. So I went back to New York, went to a junior college on Long Island and ran into a coach who we just didn't see eye to eye. Uh, I didn't play much for him, but somehow uh, uh, got, a, got, a, or got an offer to go to a Division II school, Southampton College, where I ended up coaching. Uh, coached there for a year and then... Uh, decided, you know what, I, I always knew I was going to be a coach. So let's just, let's just cut the nonsense and start coaching. So that's when I started coaching in 98. Talk about how exactly you did get uh, on the coaching staff. And then I know you spent five years as the assistant coach, no graduate assistant, no volunteer, you know, doing everything. Yeah. Uh, talk about that first coaching experience. Yeah, I, I honestly, I didn't know anything about coaching besides what I, you know, read. Yeah, I read a ton of books on Bones McKinney. Uh, I, I used to read a ton of basketball books um, and watch a ton of games. So I went in there blind. Uh, the guy that I met, uh, who was the head coach at that time at Southampton College, he was actually a Suffolk County police officer. So when I was working graveyard shifts at a 7-Eleven, he would come in at night and drink his coffee and we'd sit there and BS about basketball. And then he just basically said, you know, I, gotta, I have a non-paid assi uh, assistant position. You want to come over and help me out? Uh, Actually, that was when I was playing before when I started, that's how we met. And that's how I got the offer to go to Southampton. Then he said, you know, you come over and be my coach since, since you know the deal here. So anyway, uh, we didn't go into this the first time. The guy that gave me my first break, I'll always be grateful to. But the, the way he ran that program, it, it was it was all over the place. So what's crazy is that for somebody to coming in with no experience, I actually uh, I think I brought a lot of stability in there. I know, I know that for a fact because my athletic director told me later on that she appreciated everything that I brought in. And also uh, that college, Southampton College, has had some coaches leave there and move on to good, uh, really good jobs. Tony Bazella, who's now the women's coach at Seton Hall, was the women's coach at Southampton College. And Tony pulled me aside a couple of times. He kept saying, Pete, you're doing a great job. Like, it's really impressive and all this stuff. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, I, was, I was still working in the convenience store those first five yeah the five years as an assistant so I I would the commute from where I worked to Southampton was about an hour and 15 maybe an hour and a half so I would work the overnight 11 to 7 shifts 
get off at seven, drive, you know, the hour and 15, hour and a half out to Southampton, um, get a couple hours sleep. Again, we, you know, you and I spoke about it because you worked the, the, the overnight shift. You, you fall asleep when you get home. Um, first, you're jazzed when you get home. So you don't, you don't fall asleep right away. But then you fall asleep and then usually around 12 noon because your body just never adjusts to it. Your body just wakes up. It wakes you up no matter how tired you are. Your eyes are burning, but you wake up. And so I was like, all right, well, it's time to go to work. So, you know, do the individuals, whatever it was, study halls, academic checks, uh, everything, you know, re recruiting as much as I could. And then I would try to sneak an hour in before I knew I was going to get it ready to drive back to my job at night. Uh, and it was just an endless cycle. And like I told you at one point, again, I, for, for, again for a guy that, that hasn't made a lot of money and has been all over the place and stuff like that, I actually got treated very well in New York. And one of the bigger papers in New York, uh, Long Island Newsday, uh, did an article on me. And, you know, he was, we were talking about the, the commute and stuff like that, everything that we, I just said. And I, again, I don't think about it much now because I'm very focused on the day-to-day -day stuff that I do here. But, uh, but back then, when I would drive to work, I mean, when I drive home from work every day, I literally don't remember how I got home. Like I was out of it. Uh, and there were times where, you know, I, I was falling asleep at the wheel and I'd hit the grooves on the side of the road and that, brrr, we, you know, and the shock would wake you up and it'd give you that, you know, 15, 20 minute sparks that you can get home. But there were, I mean, there were so many times where I literally, I remember leaving work and then I don't remember anything in between and then getting back to Southampton to get ready to go to work. So it was just a blur at that time. And then, like you said, there was nobody else. It was just me uh, and the head coach at the time. And the job was a part-time job for him. He, so there was no paid assistant position. He only made 17 grand uh, after taxes. Uh, his main job, he made, you know, a, a real, a, a, people could look it up. It, it, Suffolk County cops are one of the best paid cops in the country. So he was making a lot of money. So the part-time thing didn't really bother him, but he treated it. And, and I've known this, again, from, from being in coaching 18 years, I know that a lot of part-time coaches treat it like a part-time job. Um, so that's basically what he was doing. And I was end up being the full-time guy on campus. Uh, that changed when I became head coach. I decided, you know what, it's a part-time job, but I'm going to treat this like a full-time job. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I got to do and take the hit and then try to make as much money as I can uh, on the side uh, during the summer. But yeah, that, that was me the first five years there. You know, uh, talk about running your own program for the first time and then, you know, all the side hustle you're doing uh, just to be able to make the dream work. You talk about that, that, uh, that balance. Yeah. See, my guys were great. I tell people the biggest uh, guys that get a, that, that move from being an assistant coach to a head coach, the biggest adjustment you have to make is you guys going from being your buddies to now they really got to listen to everything you say, like you're, you're the head of the program. So I, I told my guys that right away when I took the job, I said, listen, it's not going to be a drastic change, but there is a little bit of a change. Uh, you know, like I told you the first time around, I, I, I with my guys, I don't mind a little bit of arguing back and forth. I never did. Uh, maybe just because the way we grew up in New York, you sort of you argue with each other and you're like family. So you argue, but then you get along, you know, you, you, you smooth it over and you're good to go. It's like arguing with your brother or arguing with you know, somebody in your family and then you're good to go. So I told the guys, you know, I don't mind some of that. But the bottom line, when it comes down to it, 99 percent of the time, it's going to be what I say. And that, that's what goes. Um, I told them there's going to be a couple of couple of things in the beginning. I'm not going to go through a lot of a lot of changes. I'm not going to throw a lot of new rules at you and stuff like that. But the big thing was I wanted them to. They had to show up early. So if I said to be somewhere, say at one o'clock, I wanted them there 10 minutes early. So when I walked into a meeting or practice or anything, they, they were already in there. I didn't want anybody walking in at one o'clock or one on one. Uh, the other thing is we had a mandatory GPA. 
uh, was 2.75. And if they didn't make the 2.75, I told them, I said, I, I will not play. I said, you, you know, you'll be on the bench. Uh, and then we did a ton of community service. And, and, and so that, that's just basically the, 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 like I said, that was the, the stuff that I set in for the first season. And then, you know, the basketball side of it, I told myself, listen, I want to be, I knew we weren't good offensively. So I was very focused on the defensive side of stuff. Um, and yeah, so, uh, you know, that, that was the other thing. So I was still, uh, I was doing everything. So I would, we had six o'clock practices in the morning. I figured since John Cheney did it at Temple for years, I could do it at Southampton. Uh, but what that did was it allowed me to do everything I had to do during the day and then go out recruiting at night, uh, since I was the only guy on staff. Um, and, and that's just how I made it work. So my day started again, uh, the other assistant coaches used to laugh. They said, cause they would say when they would just pull them into work, they'd already see my car in front of the gym. So, you know, I was in there at four 35 o'clock getting ready for practice. And then we practiced six to seven 36 to eight, uh, whatever the case was, I would, you know, individual workouts through the day, academic checks, study hall. Uh, and then around five, six o'clock, I would make the trip out to the city uh, to go recruiting around on Long Island. I did the majority of my recruiting uh, in the city. Uh, and for me, it was always very easy because at the time, uh, you know, I haven't, been, I haven't been up to New York recently, but at the time up in New York, it was great basketball. So it was like you could just pick your school and there was a good player somewhere. You just had to worry about the academic side of stuff. Uh, and, you, you know, you just had to do your work and do your diligence on that. So I just, that, that's just how I rolled. Uh, and then... Uh, the sec the, again, going into the second year, I had the four kids. I knew what I wanted. We, we only had, that's the other thing. I, yeah, I forgot to mention. We only had three scholarships. So we were playing in a conference with 10. So I had to find funky ways to get my roster. Uh, I had a lot of kids that were, you know, full financial aid because, you know, they were just really poor. So I had a lot of, I, you know, I had a lot of guys that were coming from, you know, welfare homes and stuff like that. Guys, you know, families living below the poverty line. Uh, so they would get a ton of uh, federal aid. And I could find ways to make it work at the college. We, you know, and then the scholarship money that I had, the three scholarships, I would split it up here and there so that it would work for everybody. Uh, but I actually signed going into my second year, what would have been my second year as a head coach. I had four really good recruits. I had a kid, Clyde Chapman, who ended up, you know, uh, once the school closed, he ended up leaving and go to Queens uh, in New York and was a freshman of the year, was an NCAA tournament, all, uh, all NCAA tournament player. Uh, and I was actually the, the head coach at Severian High School in, in, in Brooklyn, in, in the Catholic League in New York. But I had, I had Clyde, I had Nick Bell, who, again, when the school closed, he left, went to St. Francis in Brooklyn and led them in scoring for two years before he transferred. And then I had two kids that stayed, but one of them, Mike McDuffie, again, I had a horrible year. That, that year, the school closed was horrendous. But anyway, Mike McDuffie and Shane Gavard stayed. Mike McDuffie was a sixth three guard. Uh, could really rebound, play D, energetic kid, great kid. And Shane Gavard was the leading scorer in the Catholic League in New York. He was averaging close to 30 a game. Uh, but Mike, during the preseason, cracked his head on the floor and his brain started hemorrhaging. Uh, so he got shut down until the final three games of the year. Uh, and then the other thing, I, again, buddy, I, the, after we spoke the other day, I completely forgot about that season. That season was a nightmare. I mean, not only the school closing and, and dealing with all that stuff, um, my, my other, my, my second leading scorer, leading rebounder as a senior decided to transfer to our sister school, CW Post. He left, which I understood, uh, you know, the school was closing. Um, and then my, uh, my second and third best players who were left, one kid suffered a season ending injury before the season started, Joaquin Smith. And then DeMar McBean broke his shooting hand in the first game of the season, diving for a loose ball out of bounds. He broke his shooting hand and he didn't get back to the last four games of the season. So you couldn't, besides the school closing, you couldn't have a worse 
time going into that last season. So it was bad. Um, no, when and, did you, know, you find you know, out the school was closing? How did that happen? The school closing? Yep. With no one, and that's the crazy thing. Nobody knew about it. Uh, for those that don't know, and you can actually, I think you could, you could Google it or you could, you could find it on Wikipedia. Um, LIU at the time, and, and not, no longer, LIU at the time had three campuses. LIU had, you know, LIU Brooklyn, uh, Division One, LIU CW Post, which was Division Two, uh, and then LIU Southampton, which was Division Two. And from what I heard, and again, this is all after the fact, after, after the announcement was made, from what I heard, they were saying that Southampton was losing money for years, that people weren't giving back uh, to the college. Our big majors were marine science and uh, uh, English or something like that. It was English, yeah. Uh, so we had a ton of writers and a ton of guys who were, who were marine biologists, but it's not a lot of money in that. So they weren't giving back. There wasn't a lot of money going back to the college. And that was great. We, were, we I think we were number one in the country for our marine science department. But, you know, those guys are sitting on a boat. They're not making a lot of money. So the college was losing money for years. But what they said was Brooklyn and Post were, were making enough money to keep us afloat. And then what happened was ultimately, and again, what, what's crazy about it is the board of trustees decided uh, they'd had enough and they wanted to shut down the school. But the year before, my first year as a head coach, they made the decision uh, to upgrade the campus. So we had new buildings going up. The Chancellor's Hall was finished. We were gonna get a new library. We were getting new dorms and all this work was going in the campus. And then a year or maybe less than a year away, they decided, you know what, we're gonna pull the plug and we don't, wanna, we don't wanna operate the college anymore. And they were actually gonna shut it down at the time, that summer. But our, uh, our chancellor, uh, Robert F.X. Sillerman, and now he owns, he's like a billionaire. He owned the companies, the radio stations that became the Clear Channel Network. And I think at one point he had some kind of, he had some kind of part ownership of like American Idol. So he had a ton of money. He flipped the bill. I think it was like 12 million or 14 million just to keep the college open for one more year so that the seniors can graduate and the, and the underclassmen can find another school the following year. So he flipped the bill because the board of trustees just wanted to shut down the school, which was insane. Uh, but that, yeah, that's how it rolled. And so, you know, my job became once the season ended, I got to find my guys uh other schools oh and the other thing again it's gonna sound bad that i forgot this aside the other stuff that happened in that final year the stuff that i told you with the players getting hurt and the players leaving the player that left my program and went to cw post the kid who was my second leading scorer and my leading rebounder his name is tafari berryman he went to cw post where, where i told him i said listen you're probably you were great for me you're probably not going to play a lot for them he didn't play a lot for them all right but towards the end of his season uh, actually, no, I'm sorry. After his season was over, a month and a half later, he, and then this is a kid that that lived in the classroom. That you know was a great student. That's why I got him into Southampton. He was a great student from Brooklyn, the inner city. Great kid. Uh, was a transfer from from Niagara. Graduated high school early. Went to Niagara and then transferred to us. Um, he got shot and killed at a uh, at a club on Long Island, and I remember that night because it was between games of the Final Four, and. Marquette was playing with Dwayne Wade uh, and it was, it was between games at the final four. And I had just gotten off the phone with uh, a, a kid that played professionally for me in Australia. And I was talking about getting Tafari over the kid, Tafari from uh, that transfer to getting him overseas. I was literally, literally talking about it, giving all the information, got off the phone, finished watching the second game in the final four, um, went to sleep and got woken up around two or three in the morning uh, by Damian Frey, who was a transfer from Seton, from Seton Hall, who was now playing at post and knew Tafari. And he said, coach, you, you gotta, he goes, you gotta find something out. And I'm hearing, I'm hearing bad things. I'm hearing Tafari got shot. 
So I start calling around, calling around, calling around, and actually very late, very late in the morning, five or six o'clock, six o'clock in the morning, I get in touch with my point guard. And I, I said, do you know anything about this? What's going on? And he, and he goes, yeah, Pete, no. he goes, I, he goes, I was at the club. I, I saw it. We drove by Tafari's dead. He's like, I saw him on the street. So what happened was it was, it was uh, some kind of fight broke out in the club. Uh, Tafari was not involved with it. This is not me sugarcoating it, trying to make my former player look good. He was not involved with it. It turned out to be somebody, somebody got involved with a gang member. We still don't know if it was a Latin King or for an MS-15, but it was a gang member. Uh, so everybody scattered from the from the club, and Tafari's friend got hurt during the uh, during the altercation in the club. His friend drove. His friend and, uh, and Tafari got in the car. The friend drove, and Tafari kept saying to him, "Like you're hurt, you're hurt, you're hurt. Let me take over." So the kid finally pulled over, and they were exchanging seats. Tafari got out, got into the front seat of the car, and whoever the gang member was that started the beef at the club pulled up next to him and shot him. It was just a mistaken identity thing. So they shot him, killed him, and the, you know the kid had. So again, that that last year was just horrendous. Yeah. So that that that, that last year was horrendous. You know, after the school does in fact close, uh, you know, talk about your next step. Um, you know, all of that. I'm sure weighed on you a lot and wore you out and beat you up. But uh, you know, talk about um, you know your next step as a coach. Yeah. You know, like I said, I spent. May, June, July, making sure my guys had schools and literally drove, drove guys, drove a guy to Virginia, drove a guy to Ohio, um, put one kid in a Juco in Brooklyn. Uh, the other thing you know, to mention, we, we spoke about this the first time and I keep forgetting. From 98 until 2011, I didn't have a degree. So when I stopped going to school, because uh, I was working and doing so many things on the side, I kept telling myself I didn't have the time. So I didn't have a degree from 98 to 2011. So I got awarded the head coaching position. I was given the head coaching position under the assumption that, uh, well, I was told not an assumption. She told me that uh, my, my athletic director, Mary Topping, she said, you know, I, you, I want to make you the head coach, even though you don't have a degree, but you have to keep progressing towards your degree. So that's what I started doing. Uh, so anyway, I, I drove those guys around, finally got them situated in around July. And then I was like, all right, I got to start thinking about myself now. So at the time, again, the internet wasn't big. This is very the early stages of the internet. So I was literally writing letters out to all these schools. And I, I did not, I didn't go with the D1 route. Uh, I was just going to D2. So I figured that's where I was happy. I liked coaching D2. Um, wrote a ton of letters, except for the schools that were in the top 20, because I figured nobody would hire a kid uh, who was just, you know, at Southampton College and school closed. So I avoided them, but I got, I basically got a, you know, nice letters back from everybody basically saying, we don't have a position for you. You know, either you don't have a degree or we don't have a position for you. Late again, very late in the summer. Uh, I finally said, well, I got no other, I got nothing to lose. I'll just, I'll just send a letter out to all the, the top 20 schools. And the only letter I got back was from Pfeiffer. Uh, Jared Hedrick, who was the, the, you know, the associate head coach under coach Davis at the time told me he was leaving and that he thinks I'd be perfect to come over and take his position. So, you know, I got excited. He said, I uh, want you to come down and work the team camp and, and see how you get along with Coach Davis. So uh, before I got down there, Coach uh, had hired uh, Rob Perrin, who is now the, the head coach of Catawba. But I still went down figuring, all right, you know, they still wanted me to come down. They, they, they figured they can work something out for me and, and get me uh, a position down there. The other thing, and now this is what I forgot to mention during the first time, I completely forgot about this cap. Cap, I swear to you, I'm not making this stuff up. And if anybody is still listening at this point in the podcast, I am not making this stuff up. And you can ask Coach Davis this. So the camp was being held at St. Andrews. That's what Coach just does that. And a lot of times other campuses have better facilities and Coach's team camps are huge. So at the time he was holding his team camp in St. Andrews. So I drove from New York 
to, uh, you know, I think it was in Lawrenburg in North Carolina, where St. Andrews, I can't, it's, it's, it's somewhere in North Carolina. Okay. Uh, on my way down to Virginia in the middle of the night, my car breaks down. <laughs> Literally like a UFO went over my car, the electricity went off, everything went blank. And I, my car slowly crept to the side of the road, middle of the night in Virginia, midnight, just after midnight. I walked a couple of exits, got to a, got to a place uh, where they could get, you know, get a tow truck, got my car back. They dropped my car off at the place. I got a hotel, went back to the place in the morning uh, to get my car in to, to, you know, to get it worked on. And I, and I get up to the car. Again, I'm not lying to you. Somebody had broken into my car and taken my clothes. So I left the bag in the back seat and someone broke in and took my clothes. So uh, finally got the car fixed, got back out on the road, uh, less than an exit away, the car breaks down again. So I'm like, listen, man, this is just, I, I got to give up coaching. This is not, I'm a mush. I said, I just came off a year where everything, the school closed, everything went wrong. This is, this is a sign. I'm not supposed to coach anymore. So I call, you know, I finally, they, we, they fixed the car again. I get the car fixed. I said, I'm going back to New York. So I tell coach Davis, leave a message. And he gets back to me. I told him, I said, listen, like coach, I'm done. I said, I did this enough. So uh, he gets back to me. He goes, listen, he goes, I'll fly you down. You could just come down. He goes, you know, we'll work something down. And I was like, no, no, no. I said, I'm not going to do it. Got off the phone with him, called him back again. I said, all right, listen, I'll fly myself down because I'm not big on people helping me out. So I flew myself down, got there, worked the camp. First day at camp went great. You know, you, you run around doing a ton of stuff with Coach Davis, but it went great. It was fun. He gave me some tapes. Uh, we sat down at the end of the night. He gave me some tapes and he goes, Pete, just look at these tapes and tell me what you think of what we do. So I watched it that night, got back to him in the morning. He goes, what you think? I said, coach, it's, it's freaking chaos. I don't know what, I don't know what's going on there. And he just, he started laughing. I mean, if anybody knows coach Davis, he's just got a crazy laugh. So he just started laughing like a madman. Uh, and then we just started talking about the, the pressing, the playing uh, 10 to 12 guys a game, seven, five in and five out every two minutes, uh, five guys to the defensive blast, four guys to the offense. We just talked about everything and everything he said, uh, as difficult as it might be for the players, it actually was very simple. Uh, it, it was just smart and simple, and I liked it. And uh, he offered me a job. Now the job was only, at the time, it was housing and meals, which I, I'm still not sure if he paid for or if he raised money and paid for it, but he basically paid for my housing and my meals. Uh, and I did that, you know, for two years with him. And, you know, I, I, I joke around. I, it's not a joke. I mean, I was. He made me the defensive guy. So, I, you know, I tell people I was the defensive coordinator at Pfeiffer. But, uh, you know, we, 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 my first season, we led the country in steals um, and we led the country in forced turnovers. And, and the forced turnover number was we forced 25.7 turnovers a game, which is it's insane. It's also the most that's ever happened in Coach Davis's uh, career. Uh, and then uh, one of the years I was with them, we led the country in scoring. We were averaging like 101 a game. I told you the story the other day. The, I, we, we led the country in scoring. It was like 101 or 101.5 a game. Uh, but we were giving up like 95, 96 a game. And I was the defensive coordinator for that freaking team. And one of the games we, we, we had that year was we beat Barton in a regulation game, in a 40-minute game, no overtime. The final score was 140 to 122. And, I, you know, I'd been arguing with that team the whole year about their defense because I knew we were better defensively. And they finally admitted to me after that game, they said, Coach, we just know we could outscore everybody. I said, well, that's great. You, 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 I'm the defensive coordinator. You're gonna get, I'm never going to get another job out of this freaking place. Uh, but again, as crazy as it was working with coach Davis at Pfeiffer and Newberry was the best experience in my life. Uh, like I said, we led the country in steals, forced turnovers numerous times, led the country in scoring numerous times, uh, three pointers made numerous times. Uh, for, for me, there was no better experience in my life. So as bad as that, uh, experience was at Southampton, 
Uh, and like I mentioned to you the first time around, Southampton had never closed, despite the fact that I was only making part-time money. I would have stayed at Southampton the rest of my life because I, I figured out a way to make it work. I, I worked during the season and during the summer, I was a caretaker running the state. And I was like, you know what? I could do this the rest of my life. I don't, I don't see myself having a house, having a family. This will work for me. So I would have stayed at Southampton the rest of my life. Uh, when it closed, if it hadn't closed, I would have never had the experiences that I've had since then. Uh, you know, working with Coach Davis, you know, we played against Purdue. We played against North Carolina and the Dean Dome sold out, you know, while here at Newberry, we beat Marshall. Uh, the crazy thing people don't, people don't realize when we beat Marshall, that was 2014 or 2015, we went to Marshall and beat Marshall. We had played three games, three road games. This is coach Davis scheduling for you. Again, people don't know. Coach Davis is, is out of his mind. We played three road games in 58 hours. We played at 6 a.m. on a Friday against Erskine <laughs> lost. Played the next day at 11.30 a.m. against North Greenville and beat them. Then drove to West Virginia, beat Marshall at 2 o'clock the next day. And then the following year, to, to up himself, he played three games in 31 hours. We played three games in two days. He's, he's out of his mind. We played an 11 o'clock game at Erskine, one in overtime. And then later that night, we drove that night and played UNC Charlotte at 8. We're beating them by 15. Uh, before our freshman of the year and our a guy who turned out to be our freshman of the year and a guy who turned out to be our second leading, uh, a second team all-conference player got hurt. And we ended up losing that game after leading by 15 with 10 minutes to go. And then the next day we played North Greenville at four o'clock and lost in overtime again without two of our best players. We played three road games in 31 hours. But again, as crazy as all that sounds, it's been some of the best experiences of my life. Um, you know, it, it, again, I wouldn't trade anything for the experiences that I've had working with Coach Davis. Aside from the basketball stuff, he is just the best person I've met inside and outside of basketball. That's it. Everything I've heard, uh, you know, would uh, would lead to that. I know we'll talk more about Coach Davis yeah, uh, yeah. in the interview. You know, talk about the other roles they had you doing at Pfeiffer. All right. <laughs> at Pfeiffer. Uh, all right, yeah. All right, so I, again, and now I wasn't paid. I had housing and meals. So to, to find little ways of people throwing me a couple of hundred dollars, a couple of thousand dollars, some of the jobs were – Assistant women's volleyball coach, and I knew nothing about volleyball. <laughs> but I mean, it was, it, was, it was a great experience, and I learned a lot. Uh, but anyway, I was assistant women's volleyball coach, uh, assistant sports information director. Uh, so basically, I covered uh, basketball, baseball, softball, and lacrosse. Um, no soccer, though. That, that's odd. With, with no, but, I, but I'm getting to that. So I was the assistant JV coach. I was the head of game day management, and that's when I covered the soccer games. Uh, men's and women's lacrosse and basketball. I was the work study. There's again, that's stuff that I forgot. I thought about it since we spoke. I was the work study supervisor over about 55 kids. And then uh, I got certified to be a North Carolina high school basketball official, which was, again, you know, we, we spoke about it the first time. It was actually a really good thing. I, I did it as an easy way to make money, but it actually turned out to be a, a learning experience because uh, I don't think I was super bad with the reps. Uh, I will say this because we spoke about it the first time. When I was a head coach in New York, I was out of my mind. Uh, again, I was 30 years old. I was, a head, I was a head coach at 30 years old without a degree. I probably should have kept my mouth shut. The first three games as a head coach, I was screaming, I was screaming my head off and cursing like a, a lunatic. And uh, I'll, again, I'll always remember it. Donald Landolfi, an older rep, he was a guy, you know, you know, up there in age, but he'd been around a while, like done D1 games up in New York and been doing D2 games. He pulled me aside after the third or fourth game, uh, again, because our, our, his lot, the, the ref's locker room was right next to where our, my, my, lot, my uh, office was. So he pulled me aside. He goes, Pete, 
you're doing good stuff, but you're getting a really bad reputation. Uh, you know, they, they don't like the way you're coming at them. Uh, you got to calm down, uh, focus more on your guys. And, you know, we spoke about it the first time. This is the way I was early on. As soon, I, I yesed him to death. And then as soon as he walked away, I was like, F him. You know, he doesn't know what the F he's talking about. Uh, and then I just so happened, again, after he spoke, I watched myself on tape. And I watch a lot of game film. I don't know if every coach does this, but I do this. I watch game film and I, I mute the sound. I just, I don't mm-hmm. listen to the sound. So I actually, for whatever reason, unmuted it. And I heard myself. And literally from across the gym, you could hear clearly what I was saying. And it was embarrassing. It was just embarrassing. I was F-bombing everybody. I was F-bombing the refs. I was out of my mind. And I said, it's embarrassing. I'm never going to do it again. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to focus on my guys. And then towards the end of the year, uh, Donald came up to me again and said, he goes, Pete, we're probably not supposed to say this. You know, I'm, I'm a professional. We're not supposed to show favoritism. But now the guys are really rooting for you. Like your kids play hard and they appreciate the effort you guys give. And they said, they said, your bench decorum is great. And again, Cap, I forgot this. We got the sportsmanship award. So uh, I went from being a, an absolute lunatic to getting the sportsmanship award my first year. So anyway, fast forward back. Uh, I become an official. Uh, I thought I was a pretty, I thought I was a pretty good official because I was, uh, like I told you the first time around, I would pull the kids aside and the coach aside before the game and say, listen, you know, I've been a player. I've been a coach. I'm still coaching now. Just talk to me. Don't scream at me from across the court. I swear to you, if I mess up a call, I'll admit it. Uh, if, if you got a question, if anything about that, you know, just, you know, just, just, just talk to me. Don't be screaming and don't make a show out of this. And for the most part, everybody was great. Uh, I never, you know, you joked around about it the first time around. I never rejected anybody, but I did tech up a couple of guys. Uh, I told you the one guy for the people that don't have never seen me before. I'm skinny and bald. I had one guy called me a, an effing crackhead. So I, I checked him up and I, I said, boy, he said, coach, what are you doing? We've, we've been pretty good the whole game talking to each other. Where'd that come from? And he just lost his mind. Uh, but I, I really, I enjoyed it um, because it showed me the other side and, and not really how hard it is, but, you know, it just gave me two sides of the, the coin, you know, you know, seeing how coaches and players see things and seeing how referees see it, uh, dealing with the crowd and, and learning to, 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 you know, to just focus on what's going on in the court and not pay attention to what's going on in the crowd. It was a really good experience. I mean, I recommend it. Even if it's just taking the classes to get certified uh, and taking the test, I would recommend it to every coach to, to, to look into officiating. No question. Yeah. You know, talk about the decision to move on to Belmont Abbey. Um, you know, you're a part of a staff that recruited Matt Graves, who's been on the podcast. Yeah. What, uh, what do you remember about a young Matt Graves and then your time at Belmont Abbey? Yeah. I mean, again, I, I, I've, my biggest one of the bigger mistakes I've had in coaching is I, I sort of keep it to myself but the, the few guys that I do talk to we seem to get along great so I had a relationship at FIFA with with Jason Williams who's now the women's head coach at Belmont Abbey but at the time he was the assistant with the men so I was trying to finish my degree at FIFA one of the things again uh, they gave me housing and, and meals uh, the promise was that if you have things work out here we'll, we'll get you some classes um, Coach Davis kept offering to pay for my classes. I was not comfortable with him paying my classes. It just wasn't. If it came from the school, that was different. So the school kept hamming and hawing. And finally, I said, you know what? I can't stay here. I got I to finish my degree. So Jason spoke to me and said, that, why don't you come here? Do the same thing for a year. I guarantee you they'll, they'll get you something. Uh, so Jason was there. Jonas Hayes, who's now the assistant coach at Xavier, was on the staff. And Stephen Miss, it was his first year. Uh, and Steve is now uh, – Coach Miss is now the AD. Uh, he stopped, stopped coaching basketball. He's now the AD at Belmont Abbey. 
So that was our staff. Uh, Matt was one of Jonas's guys. And I told you the first time around, again, if people are listening at this point, two of the best people I've ever met in college basketball are Dave Davis and Jonas Hayes. Jonas Hayes, I, again, I'm not saying this uh, to, to, to blow things up. The guy should be, you know, for people who know, Jonas played at Western Carolina and transferred as a player to, to University of Georgia, where he played under Jim Harrick with his twin brother, Jarvis. Uh, Jonas was a very good college player. He also happens to be one of the friendliest people you will ever meet. He has a great basketball mind. Uh, again, he's very good when it comes to everything regarding basketball. But one thing specifically that he is a king of is he, uh, he was a big. He's very good at coaching bigs. So Matt was, you know, Matt Graves was one of his guys. Um, he, you know, he, he brought in Matt. He brought in another kid. Uh, Kyle Andrew Phillips. I remember that. That's how Jonas would never say just one name. He would call him by all three names. Kyle Andrew Phillips. Uh, he brought in two big guys. And beat the defending national champions, Barton College. And then the following season, we won 20 games. Uh, we actually beat. Uh, all right. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give I'm sorry, Cap. I'm going to give you. I got to give you a story because I forgot about this and it's a good story. Okay. So. Coaching against Coach Davis was horrible for me, all right, because I did not want to leave Pfeiffer, all right. I didn't. Um, so the first, <laughs> the first time we played Pfeiffer at Pfeiffer, I was literally crying and couldn't stop crying before the game because I did, I was a mess. So uh, we weren't playing well leading into that game, and Pfeiffer was rolling. Like Pfeiffer was, like, they ended up winning like twenty games that year. At, at that point, they were undefeated at home and they were just smashing teams. So I wasn't really worried about winning or losing. I was just worried about our guys not looking completely horrible. And it was hard playing coach. So anyway, uh, we have it. We, the day before the game, we have a little meeting. You know, Steven's talking to the team. And, and he says, does anybody have anything to say? PD have anything to say? Because I had the scout. You know, that's the other thing. We all had different scouts. And I, I got Pfeiffer because, you know, shoot, I coached Pfeiffer. So he wanted me to give the scout. So I normally never said anything. And we weren't playing well. And I looked at the guys. I said, you know what? I said, listen, I'm just going to say something. So I said to them, I said, guys, listen, I am not telling you to go out there and win this game for me. I'm not. Because I really don't care when it comes down to that stuff. I just want you guys to play hard and play well. Uh, just know that this game means a lot to me. They knew, they knew how much Pfeiffer meant to me. Because you know, I spoke about coach a lot. So we went into the game. <laughs> Cap, it's, it's so ridiculous. I see coach before the game. So I go over to shake his hand. I go shake his hand. He tries to talk to me. And I literally couldn't get the words out. I was so upset. I shook his hand and walked away, walked away. Then the, uh, we did the lineups, we did the lineups and then stood for, stood for the national anthem. And I looked across and I saw that the Pfeiffer team lined up with coach Davis over there. And I just thought about myself being over there the year before and all the good times that I had with those teams. And I started bawling and I didn't think it was a big deal. I started walking back to the bench. I sat in the wrong chair. I was all messed up, but some of my players, Richard Barbie, one of our best players saw me and he started crying. So now I'm in worse shape because I'm because I'm going now I'm screwing the team up like they're, they're a mess. So anyway, we go down 15 with we're getting smashed. And I'm like, oh, man, I screwed this whole thing up. Cat, they started battling back. man. They battled back. It was the most amazing thing I've ever been a part of. Like I said, I, I've beaten Marshall. I forgot to mention in New York, we won the only championship in the school's history. Um it was the ECAC championship when I was an assistant coach. It was the only championship in the, in, in the history of the men's basketball program. We won that there with a team that was all my guys. But anyway, I've had a lot of great experiences. I, I can still remember this game vividly, and it's one of my favorite memories. So anyway, 
we battled back, battled back, battled back. And then in a little like three minute stretch, just before the end of the game, we just made incredible plays, hit big shots. And next thing you know, we took the lead. Uh, we were up by two. Uh, I remember Tommy Carr, who worked, he, you know, he's been, he's, he coached, I think he was at Wilmington. Tommy's been, Tommy's, he's been around. Anyway, Tommy Carr was playing for Fiverr, great shooter, uh, lefty. He lined up a wide open look with seconds left, you know, the clock running out, we're up two, and he lined up a wide open three and he shot it and he missed it. We grabbed the rebound and I was stunned. Like I was just stunned. I could not even think straight. And I, I you know, just walked over to the fight for bench, shaking hands, hug coach, hug some of the players. And then as I'm, Cap, this really happened, man. As I'm walking away, um, Arturis Pappins, one of our big guys, and Rick Marchenko, Australian, another kid, another big guy, they picked me up and carried me off the court on their shoulders. And the whole way I'm crying and screaming at them, I'm screaming at them to put me on the floor. And this is back, in, and again, this is back when Pfeiffer was rolling. They had great, great crowds, and I'm, I'm embarrassed now. So I'm, I'm like, put me down, put me down, and I'm crying the whole way out. Uh, but it was one of the best experiences of my life. But anyway, again, I, I, I forgot to mention it before. I ramble a lot. But, yeah, the, the Belmont Abbey staff was great. Uh, Jonas and I shared an office, so we got, we got very close. Uh, I, I could say this. And, and I, I, I don't think I'm wrong at all. Uh, Jonas, after he, he left Belmont Abbey, went to Georgia. He was the, um, they made him like a player development guy under Mark Few before he mm -hmm. lifted him up the next year to be an assistant coach. There was a big groundswell to bring Jonas back to Georgia. You know, people love him in Georgia. You just can't help but love the guy. He's just a good guy. So anyway, the big groundswell to bring him back and Mark Few, uh, not sorry, Mark Few, uh, Mark Fox uh, hired him back at Georgia. Um, when Mark Fox was relieved and they were looking for a new coach and, that, and listen, I know the deal and I know how division ones work. I know they're not going to hire a guy like Jonas because of his age and stuff like that. But the truth is they should have hired that guy. Jonas Hayes, his phone lights up all day from high school coaches and JUCOs in Georgia. They, they love him. They just light his phone up. When he was at Georgia, they were signing four star and five star guys to that program. They had really good players. There's no question in my mind that I've been AD anywhere, especially at Georgia, had some balls and said, you know what? I'm going to hire this young guy. I know the first year might be a struggle. I know the second year might be a struggle, but I guarantee by the third year, this guy's going to have enough players in here. He's going to have his system in place that Georgia's going to be rolling in the SEC. Listen, they might not overtake Kentucky in some of those schools, but they're going to be battling and they're going to be up there third or fourth every year. And they might win the SEC some year. There's no question in my mind. Um, but they didn't do that. You know, they brought in Tom Crean and that's fine. And, and I know Tom Crean asked, uh, John, you know, I noticed from talking to Jonas that Tom asked him to stay on. But Jonas just decided that, you know, that Xavier was a better deal. And he's, he's very happy that I don't understand. I don't want anybody to think that Jonas is out there looking for other jobs. He is very happy at Xavier. But for me, I still believe at some point he is going to be the head coach of Georgia and he's going to he's going to be very successful there. And if he isn't, it's a crime against college basketball because he could be the face of Georgia basketball. And I guarantee you, will, they will not have to fire, uh, hire a coach every three or four years. He will be there for the rest of his life. He'll put in a Dean Smith type legacy at Georgia. There's no question in my mind about it. He's just one of the best coaches I've ever been around. And one of the, one of the best parts of being a coach uh, for me was introducing Jonas and Coach Davis to each other because we were coaching at rival schools, but the, the, the one thing we had in common was me working for both schools. So I introduced Coach to uh, uh, Coach Davis to Jonas, and they love each other. I mean, they literally love each other, and Coach can't speak highly enough to Jonas, and neither can I. Well, we, we could talk for hours on my thoughts yeah. on athletic directors, but uh, no, yeah, yeah. no there, there's definitely uh, some coaches who, you know, yeah, they might be rough around the edges. Yeah, it's going to be tough to sell in a press conference, but – those ads would look like rocket scientists if uh, 
have some balls, have have some, you know, have some balls, have some, you know, the ability to look forward and past all those those the rough parts and see what's what the good the good things are going to come in the future. No question. You know, from Belmont Abbey, you know, talk about what's next in your your coaching career. So after Abbey, uh, every year that I was away at Abbey. Um, I would go home and drive a cab during the summer. And then when I wasn't driving the cab, I would come back uh, for a couple of weeks and work coach Davis's team camp. So every year I was away, he kept asking me to come back. Uh, and again, I, I, it turns out that it, it, we didn't mention this the first time, but I cry a lot. So coach at the end of every camp would sit me down and, and tell me like, Peter, I love you. I want you to come back. Uh, at the time, again, we haven't, we haven't spoken about this. I, you know, I had, a, I had a lot of debt. I had my student loans. And on top of that, I had credit card debt because when I was in New York, we didn't have a recruiting budget. So what I used to do was I used to cash out my credit cards to, mm. to go recruit. So I was in a lot of debt. Uh, that was the other reason why I didn't go back to school, aside from the time. Um, he told me he wanted he, he wanted me to come back. Same deal. He was going to pay for my housing, and my meals, but he wanted to pay for uh, my classes and he wanted to pay off my debt. And I just was not comfortable with that. I remember the first time he said, I want to pay off your debt. I, I just bawled. And I remember watching him start crying. And I said, coach, you know, that it, it's a tremendous gesture. I just can't accept it. I just can't. Uh, but after two years at Belmont Abbey, and again, this is no, guys, I, I'm not saying this to, to, to be Mr. Nice Guy. Stephen Miss did everything he could to help me in that situation. The school came to me uh, at the, at the uh, end of my second year and said, we'll get you a class every semester. So at the time, I was 69 credits short of graduating. I said, listen, a, a class every semester I don't want to be here 20 years. You know, I, I want to finish my degree and get going. So I said, as much as I don't like it, I'm gonna go back to Pfeiffer. Uh, you know, uh, not, not that, that I didn't want to go back to Pfeiffer. I was not comfortable with the offer that Coach Davis was giving me. But like I told you before, in my mind, I convinced myself, you know what, I'm gonna go back, but I'm gonna find a way where a coach isn't gonna pay for anything. I'm just gonna maneuver it. So uh, I went back, uh, so I went back to Pfeiffer, handed in all my paperwork. It turned out because I hadn't been making any money for so many years that um, I qualified for a ton of aid. But before I found out I qualified for a ton of aid, again, you know, I had a funny moment in the financial aid uh, office where they, they red flagged me after getting all my documents. And they said, uh, you know, we want more documentation on your income. And I said, why, what's the big deal? They said, well, are you aware you're living below the poverty line? And I said, well, what's the poverty line? And they said, it's like 10 grand, a little bit 10 grand. I said, well, I'm aware I make less than 10 grand. I said, but I didn't know I was in freaking poverty. So they told me, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they verified it. Next thing you know, uh, because I didn't make any money, I qualified for a ton of aid and I didn't have to pay for, I mean, really anything at Pfeiffer. I mean, I paid so little to go to finish my last two years at Pfeiffer. So I told coach, I said, you don't have to pay for that. That's fine. I got that. He goes, well, all right, well, you still agreed to let me pay off your debt. It was a little over 10 grand at the time. Uh, and then my idea was I'm not going to let him pay it. I'm just going to delay it, delay it, delay it. And hopefully he'll, you know, he won't, he won't, he won't say anything about it. So every week he would ask me about, you know, I want, I want you to give me your, your, uh, your stuff. Cause I want to pay off your debt. And if you don't do it, I'm going to fire you. And he's, he, he's very clear on stuff. He, he don't mess around when he says he's going to fire somebody, he's going to fire somebody. So I said, I'm just going to keep delaying it, keep delaying it. We got to November, the season, literally the season was about to start. We were two or three days away from the season starting. And he goes, Pete, I swear to you, I'm gonna, <laughs> you don't give me your stuff, I'm going to fire you. I said, coach, you're going to have to fire me. I said, because I'm not letting you pay off my debt. And the season's about to start. So what are you going to do? And he just looked at me. <laughs> and he just looked at me and he's shaking his head. And then we didn't say anything. We didn't discuss it. And again, I, I appreciate the offer. But the fact is, I paid off my own debts. I paid off my student loans. I paid off my credit card debt. 
I actually have very good credit now somehow from working all the jobs that I worked on the side. I paid off my own stuff. I just, I was not comfortable with him paying off my, my debt, but it was an incredible gesture. And he, he, I'm not the only one that he's offered to help. He's a good man. Um, a lot of people have gone running, screaming from working for Coach Davis. Usually after a year or two, they, you know, you know, we spoke about it the first time through, you know, people work, people work jobs so that they could hop on to the next job. And Coach was very big on, I want you guys to go out. I want you to network. I want to help you move on to that next job. Uh, I'm the only one who stuck around with him. I just kept staying. Uh, everybody else moved on and got great jobs. Um, but I just loved working for Coach. And, you know, I, I uh, so yeah, after Belmont Abbey, I went back, spent a year with him there. We led the country in scoring. Uh, I think we won 19 or 20 games. Uh, he decided to take the job at Newberry because just because things at Pfeiffer had been changing and they weren't going in the direction that he thought Newberry offered him a position and, and uh, you know, something a little bit better. He took it. He asked me to come with him. Newberry wouldn't hire me because I hadn't, I didn't have my degree. So they wouldn't make me the paid assistant. So I was still, that was my first year back in school. So I was still working towards my degree. So I joined them as a, as a volunteer, you know, I got rooming and board, uh, but I was, taking some online classes, but living in Newberry and then driving, I think it's like an hour and 30 minutes from Newberry to Charlotte to go to the Charlotte campus of Pfeiffer to finish, to take some of my classes. So I would do that and come back to Newberry. And actually, you know, I, I figured out a way to, uh, like I would record my uh, lesson plans and play them on the car ride over so that I would have that stuff fresh in my mind going into class for tests and stuff like that. So it actually worked for me. But then on top of that, I was working and it's not exaggeration. You work for Coach Davis, you're going to work 80 hours a week and sometimes 100. Uh, so I was doing that and going to school uh, while working for Coach Davis. Finished my degree in May 2011. Uh, again, cramming 69 credits into a year, a summer, and then another year. So basically, you know, two years and, 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 and summer courses. Knocked that out and then was with Coach from 2011, 2012, and then got offered uh, the director of basketball operations job at North Carolina Central. Uh, uh, Brian Cloman, who is now the, uh, one of the assistant coaches at Winthrop, and from what I've read online, and, and again, oh. it's pretty obvious what's going on, the whole Winthrop staff's going over to College of Charleston. So, so Ferg will be over at College of Charleston. Again, his, his name is Brian Cloman, but I know him as Ferg. Uh, Ferg got me over at Central. Uh, the job was very new. It was in its second year. The first year that the kid who did it didn't get paid. What they told me going in was they would they'd give me nine grand and a meal plan. So I was like, well, ah, screw it. You know, I, I really didn't have the D1 bug. I'm not one of those guys. I would like to work. Uh, you know, I mentioned this the first time through. When I grew up and I, I, when, I when I decided I wanted to be a coach, I, I would have been very happy being uh, the Bill Guthridge to a Dean Smith. I would, I would love, I, I don't mind being the behind the scenes guy. I like working, I like working, working long hours because it makes my day go fast. I don't like sitting around. I like having a lot to do. I don't mind that. Uh, I was a head coach and I'm not saying I don't want to be a head coach, but I'm comfortable being an assistant. And I don't have an ego where I need to be the one uh, standing up, calling all the shots. I don't, I can, but I don't give a crap. Uh, so anyway, I took the job and Lavelle Moten is one of the best coaches I've ever been around. Uh, this is before he won the MEAC. So now this is, you know, he's been, he'd been at NC Central for, for a couple of years. He so had won the MEAC. At the time, right? Independent? Say it again. Were they independent at that time? No, no, he, he was D1. He was in the MEAC. But there was, yeah, there was a long time where he was a player there. and they, uh, uh, He was the, a player, and they were Division II. I think he was a D2 All-American. They might even yeah. want a championship on him. They might want a D2 championship with him. But anyway, he's a legend at North Carolina Central. But he hadn't won the MEAC yet as a coach. 
But the the I mean, cap the signs were there when I walked in. You know, he had Ferg, who's one of the best recruiters in the country. Brian Cullen is one of the best recruiters in the country, and that's a fact. And people could Google it, you could, you could Twitter it, you could look it up. He's one of the best recruiters in the country. But uh, North Carolina Central had Dom Sutton, who transferred from Kansas State. They had a kid named Ray Willis who transferred from Oklahoma. And these these are guys that didn't play. These are guys that played. I mean, uh, Dom Sutton played under Frank Martin at Kansas State, uh, and was a highlight reel. Ray Willis was a very good six seven guard. And then he had Pooby Chapman. I forget what Pooby played before that, but Pooby was a D1 transfer. And they all came back and were playing for Moten. And I was like, that this team is ready to go. If they don't win it this year, they're going to win it next year. So anyway, the team was very good. I had issues with the university where they, again, I came in under the assumption I was getting nine grand in meals. I was there for what turned out to be three months. I didn't get paid until two and a half months in. They kept saying every month, they said, well, you know, you pay for this and that, blah, blah, blah. I didn't get paid. I ran the team camp there that, you know, again, Lavelle and, and, and people told me that, that the biggest team camp that they had ever had, no, biggest league camp, I'm sorry, not team camp, biggest league camp they ever had was around 30 kids. I went there and in two and a half weeks, we had 97 kids. All right. So I tripled it. Uh, I didn't get paid for that. And again, this is not Lavelle. This is, this is the college. So he kept going to bath for me, going to bath for me. And they finally got to the point where they just weren't, there's things that just, they just weren't holding up their side of the bargain. So I made the decision to leave and about two and a half months in all of a sudden now I get paid and now I get my meal plan. I said, you know, by that time I'm already pissed. So I left. Uh, and again, I don't have any bad feelings towards the Moton or anybody there. One of the, again, one of the better people I've met was, you know, I already knew Ferg was a good guy. One of the better people I've met in basketball uh, was the associate head coach at the time, John Mosley, who is now the head coach uh, and athletic director at Lincoln university in Missouri in, in the MIAA. I shared an office with Moe's, me and him shared an office together. And, he, you know, he became one of my, my good friends and my good connections. Uh, I had a great, I had a great experience working with Moe's. So anyway, I left. Coach Davis again said, you know, open arms, come on back. So I came back to coach in Newberry. Um, again, I, uh, the, at the, oh, at the time at Newberry, he had two paid assistants, Justin Furr, who's now uh, the assistant coach at Florida Gulf Coast. And Sean McCullion was actually now uh, a scout for the Brooklyn Nets. So he had two coaches that were paid uh, at the time. So I, I was like, all right, well, I'll stay and do what I can. But if nothing opens up, I got to leave. So at the end of the year, you know, nothing was changing. So I decided to take the high school job, which turned out to be an incredible job at St. Mary's Reagan High School in Maryland, which plays in the WCAC, the Washington Catholic Athletic Conference. Uh, again, for those who don't know, that conference is Gonzaga, DeMatha, Bishop O'Connell, Paul VI. These are huge schools in, in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Incredible program, uh, incredible players, incredible coaches, just high level. I mean, honestly, I've never experienced anything like it, even, even the brief time at NC Central and, and playing for a very good Division II program that beat the Division I. Uh, it's just great basketball. So I was very fortunate. And the job was a good job. You know, uh, they, part of my deal was uh, I was a substitute teacher, so I had to do that. And it quickly became, you know, I, I was the number one guy they called every day. So I would literally, if there were, you know, if there's 30 days in a month, I was working four or five days a week subbing, which I didn't mind because the kids were great. Uh, and then coaching in the afternoons. Um, but it was, it was a great time there, and I probably should have never left that job, but uh, got the itch. Could be to, to go back to college and John Mosley, who was, who was at NC Central, uh, got the job at Lincoln University in Missouri. And again, I don't know a lot of coaches that would have hired a high school assistant to be their division two assistant. Um, 
but John did, and he, and he offered me that position in, in, in Lincoln. Lincoln did not have a history of winning. And he asked me before he took the job, he said, Pete, look into it and tell me what you think. And I was like, John, I mean, every year I went through that whole history. Every year was like five wins, six wins, seven wins. And, and they had two years where they won over 20 games. And it turned out those two years they got washed out because they had been cheating. So I said, John, it doesn't look like a great job, but, you know, we know the deal going in. We just got to we got to grind and do, the, do everything the right way. And uh, he did that. He took the job. He changed things around uh, immediately. I mean, got rid of a ton of guys, uh, ran individual workouts. We literally had people staring in the windows because they said they'd never seen the coach do an individual workout before, which is insane to me on the college level. But uh, John, you know, he had all that stuff going on. Uh, he's working guys out on the side. We're flipping tires out on the football field, literally everything was. Uh, and then again, academic checks and all that stuff. We had just started recruiting. Uh, I had my, my father had, had been in poor health for a long time, for a long time. He got in really bad shape. And I, for, again, we didn't mention this. One of, one of the, the biggest influences in my life, there, there are three of them, my father, my best friend, and Coach Davis. My father... I grew up in New York during a time where, uh, again, it, it's fresh in my mind just because the documentary, I see it every time I, I turn on my sling. If you haven't seen it, the Ron Artest documentary, uh, Quiet Storm, uh, about Ron Artest who played at St. John's and played in the league for the Pacers and all those guys. He grew up in a time in New York the same time that I grew up. Now, New York was in bad shape when I grew up. Like, I didn't realize it as a kid because I was a kid. All I yeah. saw was my friends. But my father had to live in it. It was a nightmare. It was bad. It was crime. It was murder and stuff like that going on, drugs and all that stuff. My father uh, decided to move us to Long Island just for our safety. He had a 20-minute commute living in the city every day. He would hop on the subway, get to work. He moved us to Long Island to where now his commute became two hours. He would wake up at 4.30, and I remember that because my room was next to his, and I always I slept with my door open. The light would go on in his room. He'd go to the bathroom and wake me up, and 5 o'clock, 5.30 would roll around. He would leave and go to work. And just before he left, he said, I'll see you later, kid. Or I'll see you later, kiddo. And I said, all right, Pop, I'll see you later. So I was used to getting up early because my father got up early. And then my father wouldn't get home till nine o'clock at night. So I, you know, when I got, I told you, when I, when I got older, old enough to drive, I would drive him to work in the morning, drop him off at the station. Um, he would hop on the train, change trains, get on another train, get to New York, take a bus, and then walk to work every day he did that for 30 years and then he would get home at eight or nine eight o'clock at nine o'clock at night and then again when i was older i'd go pick him up so i was used to waking up early and having long days and that was instilled in me um and then my you know my friend kenny you know he he helped me out he's the one who told me like pete you know you got it you got to straighten out your life and, and, and go to uh uh and get into coaching but anyway yeah my, my my father was huge i forget why i went off on that tangent with my father but uh so i've been i, I oh that's why because my father got in poor in poor health at lincoln so my, my dad had been in bad shape for a while. He got in really bad shape. So I was really missing him. And I told Moses as much as this hurts. And it was, this is one of the worst conversations I've ever had. And I know our relationship, our relationship hasn't recovered fully since then, but we, we still we still talk from time to time and send jokes uh, you know, over text message. But I know it upset Moses. I decided to leave. And, you know, he'd taken a chance on me. He pulled me in there and I sort of left him shorthanded. And I regret that. But I mean, I was really overwhelmed at the time. I think he understands, but, you know, he also, he has to, he, he had, he's a professional and he had to, he had a, he lost an assistant coach at a tough time. So I left, uh, went back to Riken, uh, sub substitute teach SAT proctor, safety and security officer. And then coach Davis kept calling, kept calling, kept saying, come back, come back. He brought me back as the paid assistant. Uh, again, it, it wasn't a lot. It was, you know, 22 grand after taxes is less than that. Uh, 
he offered to pay for my meals. I never paid. I never took his meal plan because I just I, I was tired of eating in the cafeteria. Uh, but yeah, yeah, and, and and so that was the move. I went, came back to Newberry, two season. That well, that first year was the year we beat Marshall. Had a great season. Um, the, the next year we had we had a good year. Eighteen games. I recruited a kid who was freshman of the year. I recruited another kid who, even though I left the following year, who turned out who got freshman of the year. So I recruited back to back freshman of the year in the conference. But what happened in my second year, uh, whenever that was, 2015, 2016, my father passed away in the summer. Right two, two weeks, this is the good thing about this, if there is a good thing. My father had never seen me coach. He had never seen me play. Um, he came, my, my uncle, brought, uh, who lived in Florida, was a, a national park ranger for years, had retired. He drove from Florida to New York, picked up my father, because my, my uncle had been coming to our games. He drove from Florida to New York, picked up my father and drove my father down and watched me play my final regular, watched me coach my final regular season game here with Pfeiffer. I mean, with Newberry. So we won the game. My father got to see me coach. We, we had a good time after. I actually got to tell him everything that I just told you about how he influenced me in those early mornings and how much he meant to me. So I got to have that. He wasn't in the best of shape, but he was still doing pretty good. So anyway, two weeks after that, I'm sitting in my office, literally right where I am right now. I'm sitting in my office. Uh, I get a phone call from my half brother, Kev. And my brother, my father, every other week, my father was in the hospital for something. He just, he had a pacemaker. He wouldn't tell anybody something was going on. And next thing you know, he's in the hospital. So I was constantly getting these calls like my friend, you know, your dad's in the hospital. And I would worry, worry, worry. And the next thing you know, he'd be okay. It happened so many times that I had gotten numb to it. So he just went into the hospital again. And I, and I got on the phone with Kevin. I was like, all right, that's how's Pop doing? And he said, he goes, Pete, I, you know, he passed away. So, but he passed away. Told coach I needed some time off. I actually tried to come back to work the next day. Uh, now I took a day off, and then uh, it was a Monday. Took the Monday off. Came back on the Tuesday. Everybody came in and started consoling me. And I, I was like, I don't want to deal with this right now. So I took another week off. Uh, a few weeks later, my, be I, my, my best friend, Kenny, who had, the one who got me into coaching and told me, you got to get out of here, Pete. Like, literally, you got to get out of here. Just like the movie Good Will Hunting. He literally sat me down. The way Ben Affleck has told Matt Damon, if, if you're here in 20 years or whatever, I'll, I'll kick the crap out of you. Kenny said the exact same thing to me, like, Pete, you got to get out of the Bronx. You got to go finish school. You got to get into coaching. He passed away. So I kept working because we were doing team camps and elite camps. I didn't have a lot of time. I kept figuring as soon as elite camps are over, I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll deal with the, with, the, with the trauma or whatever it is. And then my uncle passed away, again, out of nowhere. He had just retired. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't an old guy. He was in great shape. He passed away. I, I got up until August. I didn't take a day off. We did the elite camps. I got up to August and then everything just hit me and I couldn't deal with it. And I finally told coach, I said, I said, coach, I got to leave. I can't do this anymore. And he was great. You know, he, he kept telling me to take more time, more time. And it got to be like a month. I was like, coach, this, this just, I can't get my head straight. You got to hire somebody else. So I left, took that year off. And again, I forgot to mention this to you the first time around. I took a year off, went back to Maryland, uh, got a place because I had had a little bit of money saved up. Started, uh, so I had been writing for a soccer website, but I was now writing more to pay for my bills. Um, thought about getting back into coaching again. One of my former players uh, played professionally in Australia. He had he shared an agent with a coach who's now a coach in, in, the, in the MAC. I don't want to say what school it was because they, they offered me an opportunity and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound bad. Anyway, they offered me an opportunity. Anyway, there was an opening on the guy's staff and I knew my player shared an agent with this coach. So I said, see if you can get me in. Like a, if it's like an ops job or anything like that. So just to get me in the door, see what happens. 
So he actually got the coach on the phone with me and we spoke. I came down and interviewed, uh, met the coach, I met the AD, I met the president. I haven't had a lot of interviews, Cap, I've been lucky. I haven't had a lot of interviews, but when I've interviewed, I've, I've interviewed well, maybe because I just know how to tell stories. I mean, shit, you shoot, you're finding out right now. I, I don't <laughs> shut up. But- uh, <laughs> I'm the same way, man, I'm the same way. All right, so anyway, I was stunned. I went, for, I didn't have a job. I mean, I had been out of coaching. I got offered a job in the Mac. Now, it was near, I'll say this, it was near New York. And I started doing the math. At the time I was driving in a car that was, I would, I would have needed a new car. I would have had to commute to work. I know the cost of living in New York. One of the reasons why I don't go back to New York, it's just too expensive at this point. I, I don't make enough money. And the money that they were talking about, I said, you know what? I just don't think it's worth it. And also I just wasn't 100% sold on the coach, which is crazy because if anybody gets offered a job and you don't have a job, you should take it. Yeah. So, so as a, uh, being an idiot, I turned it down. <laughs> it wasn't smart. Anyway, coach asked me to come back, kept asking me to come back. I came back and worked the camp, uh, the team camp. Uh, I actually got an offer to work at, a, at, I forgot about this again, Cap. I got an offer to work as an assistant coach at, at, in, in the Jayhawk conference. Again, I won't say what school, but it was 10 grand in room and board. And I was like, man, I, and, but I would have to be living in the dorm with the kids and watch the kids. And I was like, man, I'm, I forget how old I was, 45, 46, 44, whatever I was. I, said, I don't want to do this crap again. So I told coach, I said, listen, I'm going to come back and I'll make a lot of money. I just rather work for you. So uh, I came back and worked for coach Davis the, the, literally the day I got back on campus. The, the former women's coach here had taken a job at, I, I think I could say this, it doesn't matter. He took a job at Auburn Montgomery, a division two school. Uh, Sean Page, great coach. Uh, he's from Australia, recruited, recruited a ton of Australian girls, all Americans here at, here at Newberry, won the conference a couple of years, been, uh, I believe he got to the NCAA tournament. Um, he took a job at Auburn Montgomery. His wife was still working on campus, Susan. She saw me on campus, found out why I was back and found out I wasn't making any money. She called Sean and Sean said, I, I think I'm pretty sure my assistant's leaving. Do you want to come down here and work? And I was like, I'll think about it. So give me 24 hours. And again, Cap, now it's stupid. I, it was a paid position for a guy that I know. Uh, but I had just told Coach Davis I was coming back. And, and my thing is, uh, I, I don't want to, uh, I hate saying it, but I, I do feel like I'm a pretty loyal person. I give it my word that I'd be here. And regardless that it wasn't a paid position, I give it my word. And I love Coach Davis. Mm -hmm. So I turned, it, I turned it down and I stayed here for no money. Uh, but again, you know, once a position opened up here the following year, Coach got me back on as his paid assistant. Uh, but it turned out he made me his paid assistant. And then a month later, the whole Winthrop thing happened. And if you want me to get into the Winthrop story about how we got into the office, I can give you that if you want. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So the, the year I came back was a rough year. When, the, the year in between when I left, you know, uh, when I came back, it was a completely new team. And, and I'm not blaming anybody. It just was not, it was not Dave Davis' team. I don't know what went on. It, 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 it was not a good team. And you can tell that by now that there's really only – I think there's three guys left from that team. It was only two, two years ago, three years ago, two years ago. There's only three guys left from that team. So they didn't fit. So it was a struggle that whole year. Uh, coach looked very beaten to me at the end of the season. And I mentioned this to you before. He, he looked, he, he'd been going to the doctor a little bit and he'd been worrying me. And, and I don't think of coaches old because people do not understand. Uh, you know, I talk about my hours waking up early in the morning. Coach Davis beats me to the office and actually, He's up before me because he's, he gets up early in his brown truck, throws his two, his two dogs in the back of the truck and a bike, and he rides.
And so I don't think of him as an older guy, but he looked beaten. I know he was doing a ton of stuff here. He was basically the, you know, he, he wasn't, he was the head coach of basketball, but he was being leaned on to do to, to very heavily by the athletic director, very heavily by the president to do a ton of stuff. He was being pulled all over the place. One of the reasons why I know he wanted me back, number one, I know he likes me, but he also knew that he could trust me to do all the day-to-day stuff, you know, the individuals and the film and stuff like that. So he knew he could trust me with that stuff. So, but he had been going to the doctor and stuff like that. So I, I asked him at the end of the season, I, you know, I, I closed the door. I said, coach, are you all right? I said, you're scaring me. Uh, and he goes, close the door. He goes, I'm fine. He goes, you know, Pam, his wife, I just, it was normal stuff, no, normal stuff, getting normal checkups. That's why he'd been going to the doctor. But he mentioned that more than likely he was going to leave and join Pat Kelsey at Winthrop. So it hit me because a year or two before I had mentioned to him, like, how much longer do you think you have in coaching? And he said, Pete, you know, I feel good. I got, I got about 10 years left. And he, he said, he goes, I see myself retiring at Newberry. I love being around here. I love that he, he still has a house here. He loves it here. And this is where he wants to finish his, you know, finish the remaining days. Uh, so, but he's had a relationship with Pat Kelly since when I was back at Pfeiffer. Uh, like I mentioned in the first time we spoke, I've never met, I've never had a long conversation with Pat Kelsey. I've met him briefly. I remember at Pfeiffer walking into Myrna Gymnasium for a practice, turning to my left and Rob Moxley, who was at the time, I think was at UNC Charlotte before he moved to NC State, uh, before he had his health issues, was sitting there with Pat Kelsey. And I believe Pat was with Wake that, at that time. So I remember way back in the Pfeiffer days, Pat being there. So him and Pat have been talking for a long time. Coach Kelsey, I don't know him like that. Coach Kelsey has been talking for a long time. Uh, and coach had been offered a ton of jobs. People do not understand. This is not one of those things where people tell you they were up for a job. Coach isn't one of those guys. He doesn't go around bragging about the jobs he was offered. I believe he was offered a Garner Webb job at one point. And I know there was a push at one point when Sidney Lowe got fired at NC State. There was a, a push where his name was being thrown around for the NC State job. I think like the Charlotte Observer had him in the list of names that should be brought up there because he was, you know, it, it, he was, anyway, he was not one of those guys. He was very happy being where he was being. Uh, but anyway, Kelsey caught him at the wrong time. I mean, at the right time, wrong time for us. Uh, coach said, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. He made him the associate head coach. He didn't have to run around and do everything. He got a little bit of a pay raise. Uh, you know, he gave him uh, substitutions, rebounding, and something else. Anyway, it made sense. He left. Uh, I watched those teams the past two years. I don't watch a lot of college basketball because I've watched so much of our stuff and so much of our opponents. I really don't want to watch stuff on ESPN. I only watch certain teams. I only watch certain teams in the NBA. I watch, I watch the Heat and the Celtics because the way they play is similar to college teams, the way they defend uh, and the way they're, t- they're really together as a unit. But I watched a ton of Winthrop games since Coach left. And more this year than the first year coach was there. This year, when I watched those teams, I was like, those are the, again, Pat Kelsey is a great coach. And I'm not saying that this, this is Dave Davis's team. What I'm saying is I see coaches imprint on that team. Uh, they were running the break, the sub and five and five out. They sent five guys to the glass. They're, they're hitting people when shots go up. Uh, the energy was already there because Kelsey and his whole staff are just very energetic. It was just a perfect fit for coach. He talks about it. The one thing I will say that he mentioned to me, and again, I don't think this is a bad thing. He, he did say that one of the reasons why he didn't consider Division One jobs in the past, because he was always concerned that there was this infighting in, between the coaches on the D1 staffs. He said, none of that. He goes, Pete, none of that is going on here. Like, we all love each other. We all support each other. And it starts with Kelsey. He just talks about it being a family. So for me, he found a Pfeiffer. He found a Newberry with Coach Kelsey at Winthrop. And now, hopefully, what will, will take place at College of Charleston. So I understand him leaving. It made sense. He looked so happy. He looked so healthy. 
uh, I, I'm just, yeah, for, for me, listen again, I miss coaching with Coach Davis. And that's no, no disrespect to my current coach. I love working with Jason, but uh, I, I can't deny to it. I, I worked for, I always said it, I worked for the Dean Smith of, of small college basketball. I worked for a guy who, to me, is that respected across the board. Uh, when we played Marshall, uh, D'Antoni said great things about coach after the game. Uh, we played Frank Martin, South Carolina. He said great things. Coach K, Roy Williams. You know, we played Carolina in the Dean Dome the year that they ended up winning a national championship. We played them in the preseason in the exhibition game. Uh, they beat us. Now, listen, again, I was defensive coordinator. They scored 140 points, but we scored 101. Uh, and they had set Roy Williams said in the post-match, uh, post-match, post-game interview, uh, we had, you know, I'm upset with my guys because we had set a goal to hold them to under 80 because, you know, we were leading the country in scoring. So we want to hold them to under 80. And we had 101. And I remember when we hit the 101, Tommy Carr hit the three. Our fans, the 2,000 fans that we had, the Dean Dome was sold out. So it was all Carolina blue. And our, Carol, uh, our Pfeiffer fans, the black and gold, were right behind our bench, a little 2,000 pocket. They went ape, ape-s. They went crazy. And I was going crazy. And then we were down 40. And, but it was great because we put up 101 on, on Carolina. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, he, he's just one of the best people that I, you, everything that you read about in books, all the storybook stuff about John Wooden and Dean Smith and coach K coach Davis is that, you know, he, he's just, he's just an amazing person. He's just a good man. Even kids that leave this program early, uh, who aren't happy with the stuff that went down on the basketball side of stuff. They always, I don't think he has many enemies when it comes to former players. They all speak highly of them. They might not have understood it. They might not have. Uh, knowing what they were, listen, we, we tried to be very honest with kids and tell them what they were getting into by playing for us and what the demands would be, but they, they don't really listen all the time. Uh, so they left mad, but they didn't stay mad. Uh, he's again, the top two people I've met in coaching over 18 years, Dave Davis is by far the top and very close second, maybe not a very close second because he's, he's only an assistant right now. He hasn't been a head coach yet, but very close as a person is Jonas Hayes. So, I mean, but I, I've been very fortunate that way. Coach, you know, you mentioned that he took the job at Winthrop yeah. um, and that you stayed at, at Newberry. Talk about, you know, the decision to stay, if there was any uh, opportunity to move on to Winthrop in some capacity. Um, and then even, you know, whether or not you wanted to take over it at Newberry. Yeah. I, I had told Coach that I, I just don't have an, and maybe it's a bad thing to say because, you know, you, anybody would want a job, but I really, I don't have the head coaching bug. I know I could be a head coach and I know exactly what I would do with my program. I was, I had it all in place at Southampton and I would do it again. It seems very easy to me. Uh, I'm comfortable being an assistant. So I told coach like, you know, I, just before he even decided, I said, you know, I, I, I'm happy being an assistant. So when it, when it, when it, when he decided to leave, it wasn't even a conversation. I was like, I didn't want, I didn't want the job. So there were two names being bandied about. I won't say who, do you, who the one name was that didn't get the job, but he was, he was a division one head and a long time division one head. And Jason Taylor, who, who had just come off of being the assistant coach at Tennessee tech. Um, but prior to that, Jason was the head coach at Anderson university here in our conference. And actually Anderson started off in our old conference, the conference Carolinas, when we were playing at Pfeiffer and then Anderson moved over to the sack. Uh, but, but Jason's teams at Anderson, he took over for Doug Novak. Those two, Doug Novak's teams and, and Jason's teams were incredible. They're just very good uh, offensive teams. Uh, they played the four out, one end dribble drive motion. Uh, I, I mentioned it the first time through. I really don't remember ever beating his team 
when I was at Pfeiffer or Newberry because as crazy as we made things defensively and offensively, we could not stop his stuff. We just couldn't stop it. So I had had a relationship with Jason while he was away. Uh, and you know this and, and, and coaches out there might know this. You know, when you have a player that you can't get, you know, he might be, you know, a mid-major or a type of that. When you know you can't get him, the kid says, you know, I'm looking for something else. I would always send that kid's information and everything I knew about the kids, the coaches I knew. So I was said I sent a couple of guys, not that they didn't end up at Tennessee Tech, but I got, you know, Jason involved, involved with him. So we had a relationship. He came back to, for some of coaches, coaching clinics, we saw each other then, always very friendly with each other. Uh, it came down to those two guys for the job. You know, Jason had my vote and Jason had Coach Davis's vote. Um, I didn't have to convince the guys on the team because I basically told them, I said, you know, it, you know, it, it, I joke around with Jason and he gets upset with this. Compared to Coach Davis, the, the demands of pressing and running and all the stuff that we did, anything else is going to be a vacation. So I told Jason, I said, anything, anybody comes in here is going to be a vacation for these guys because the demands were so great. Uh, they won't have to press and trap and do a lot of stuff anymore, but they get the freedom of doing what Jason wants to do on offense, which is fun. Uh, so I said, for me, it's an easy decision for the guys. So when the guys would ask me my opinion, I said, it's an easy decision. So they, they backed it. Uh, the seniors all backed it. Jason got hired. Uh, we had one last elite camp here. And again, I've, again, I've been very lucky and I, I'm not, I, I hate looking at uh, writing my resume out and talking about my career because I don't want to sit there and be like one of these guys who's bragging. Uh, but my elite camps here at Newberry, they went every year, they got progressively uh, to be the biggest camp. Every year was, we always increased by a certain amount of numbers. So the last one we had, it was ridiculous numbers. So anyway, Jason came and worked the camp because coach wanted him to meet the guys, meet, meet me and Bernie, see how we worked. Uh, he saw, Jason saw me running around doing everything that I do during the camps and, and the reaction the kids have to me. Uh, he said, you know, when I get the job, I want you and Bernie to stay on. So Bernie and I stayed on. And my thought was, I want to learn what he does offensively because we couldn't stop it. And it was similar to what we did uh, at Pfeiffer Newberry under Coach Davis, except he has a little bit, you know, he has motion. He has a, a little bit of stuff. Uh, and I always said, if I, if I was going to be a head coach again, I would do a lot of what Coach Davis did. But when our offense, when the break wasn't there initially, 10 or 15 seconds, I would run some of, some of Jason's stuff. So I wanted to learn it. Uh, and I did. And it, it's been fun. Uh, you know, it's a different experience again. Uh, but I, I, I'm enjoying working with him. I, I like the college. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens next. Good stuff, Coach. You know, we come to the segment I call start bench cut. Now you know it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Start bench one and cut one. Sure. Uh, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Oh uh, yeah, I'm I'm an Adidas guy. Um, have I mean mostly because of the, you know again I, I'm I didn't we didn't mention it before but I'm a big soccer fan a big football fan and Adidas seems to be the shoe of choice over in Europe. So uh, I'm an Adidas guy. I'll say Nike and then I shoot. I don't wear anything Under Armour. So uh, Adidas, Nike, and then Under Armour. Get them out of here. Okay. Uh, Thierry Henry, David Beckham, Landon Donovan. All right. Now, I thought about this after you asked me the first time because I answered it poorly. Uh, I, I answered the first time as a Man United fan. And for people that don't know, Thierry Henry it, it was a longtime player at Arsenal, was a very good player, which competed with Manchester United for, for titles. Um, he's one of, one of the best players in the history of Europe. Uh, I, I have to put him up top. I didn't the first time through. I think I cut him, but I have to put him up top. I, I have to bring Beckham off the bench and I don't want to bench Landon Donovan because next to Christian Pulisic, who's playing right now, 
Landon Donovan is one of the best American soccer players ever. And I don't say that because of the success he had in the MLS. I say that for the limited time that he went over to Europe and played in England at Everton. He played very well for Everton. I mean, he really did a great job at Everton. He proved to me that he's not just one of those Americans that could get off in the MLS. He did a great job. He was one of, he's a very good player in the Premier League in England. So unfortunately, I have to cut him. But I would go Henri, Beckham, uh, Donovan. That's fair. Uh, cookout, Bojangles, Chick-fil-A. Again, it's crazy. I've, I've been down here. I've seen it. I've never had cookout. And I, I, again, we joked about it the other time. I literally just had a kid who's who, one of our guys who's working at Stetson now. He, he can't believe it. Every time I see a cookout, I'm like, I got to go have a cook. I've never had it. So uh, I want to have it, but I haven't. Chick-fil-A is incredible. We have one on campus, so I'm starting them. Bojangles, the story I told was uh, when all my buddies from New York came down to watch us play North Carolina when we were at Pfeiffer, I, you know, I'd been on the Bojangles kick. We you know, the Bowberry biscuits and stuff like that. Uh, they had never had it before, and they were instantly addicted like crackheads they just wanted it and they kept you know any reason to come down to watch our games at Pfeiffer they came down just get a good come and go to Bojangles after so I'll go Chick-fil-A uh, Bojangles and then uh, uh, cookout just because I haven't had it but I'm sure I, everybody raves about it so I'm sure I'm wrong he got game coach Carter white man can't jump yeah I get it. oh now it's white man can't jump all right all right well but anyway he got game to, to, to me is a classic because even people that I, I've known people in New York that hate Spike Lee when that movie came out, they did not want to see it because they hate Spike Lee, you know, because of do the right thing and, and, and all the, all the controversy surrounding by him. Just, first of all, Spike Lee is a very good director. Uh, maybe I'm biased because I grew up in the city and I'm uh, maybe, he's amazing. Huh? He's amazing. No, he's an amazing director. I, I you know, I, I noticed people who, who don't like him. I said, maybe I, I I'm biased because I grew up in the city and I sort of understand the, 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 where he's coming from. But anyway, he Got Game is almost a perfect movie. The only part of the movie I, I, I understand, but I just think it was dopey, was the end of the movie when the freaking ball gets thrown and, and all that. It's just so stupid. Uh, and I understand, I understand the symbolism and all that stuff behind it, but it's just dumb. But the movie itself is damn near perfect. It's such a good movie. Uh, Ray Allen was incredible, considering the guy was just a basketball player. He actually looked like an actor. I mean, he was acting in the movie. Uh, but anyway, it was, that's, uh, that's number one. White Man Can't Jump is number two easy, and I hate Coach Carter. It's just one of those. But next, next to uh, that love and basketball, you you might know this. I don't know. Do you guys share buses on the road with the women's team, or do you ride with just the men? Uh, when I was at Centenary College, we did. At Catholic, when they were home, we were away. And then at Davidson Davy, we don't have a women's team. So yeah. Every time we would go on the road with the women, one of those freaking girls would put love and basketball in there. I said, I'm not a nod. We're going to watch something else. We're not watching Love and Basketball on this bus. Yeah, no, Coach Carter to me and Love and Basketball are horrible movies. <laughs> Last one, Coach. Hoop Dirt, Verbal Commits, Transfer Portal. Yeah, no, I, I told you, I, I, I'm on Transfer Portal, so, I mean, you know, you have to be now, especially, because it's just so crazy. I don't really, I don't mess with Hoop Dirt, and I don't, I never mess with Verbal Commits, so I'll, I'll go Transfer Portal, uh, Hoop Dirt uh, off the bench, just because I do, I look at it occasionally. And our verbal commits, I don't pay any attention to. Because when I recruit, I'm just focused on my recruits and talking to their coaches and families. I really don't give a crap what verbal commit says. Coach, if listeners want to get in touch with you, uh, email, social media, what's the best way? Uh, it'd probably be my Twitter. Uh, and again, at one point, I, I was fortunate. You know, between writing for soccer and, and coaching, I had a ton of followers. It was a little over 8,000 at one point. But then my, my account got hacked. And then before I can get it fixed, it got suspended. 
and I did everything I could to get it back, which would, and it just kept, I mean, I, I kept getting automated messages. So I just created another account July last, you know, last summer. So uh, the best way to reach me now is on Twitter and my numbers are slowly going back up, which is nice. But uh, I think it's, it's uh, at coach Pete Quinn and then two underscores after Quinn, because I couldn't get my old name back. It's, it's suspended. Coach, you know, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast a second time. <laughs> yeah, no, it's no, it's no big deal. And I, I really rambled this time. I'm sorry, man. No, you're great. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.